for half a century, WJPZ Syracuse has been the greatest media classroom on the planet. We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station. But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters. Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it. This is WJPZ at 50. Welcome to WJPZ at 50. I am John Jagay. From when today's guest was born with the initials CEO, it's no surprise that she has excelled at everything she has set her mind to. And her professional success is matched only by what a great friend she's been to so many of our WJPZ alumni. I consider myself lucky because I got to meet her when she was a baby freshman when she walked into the radio station. And that is Christy Vincent, formerly Christy Agonis. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, uh, Jack. I didn't expect that kind of um, opening. So uh, I know we're on video and everyone won't see it, but if they could... I am blushing deeply at the moment. So thank you for such a kind uh, opener. I meant every word of it. It is well-deserved. Let's start at the beginning, Christy. How did you get to Syracuse and then to WJPZ? Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm a Massachusetts girl. I grew up in Western Mass, just outside of the Berkshires, and I really was not looking at schools beyond proper New England. Um, And it wasn't until my guidance counselor at the time, who had watched me through high school really excel in all the musical theater stuff we were doing, band, lots of like, not so much debate club stuff, but a lot of public speaking where he was like, have you considered Syracuse? (laughs) And I hadn't because I drew like that radius around my hometown and was like, I don't want to go further than this. And then I started looking at Syracuse and I was like, wow, Newhouse looks amazing. And I applied and I got in. And so it was uh, it ended up being my top choice and uh, it all worked out. So that's how I walked through the doors. And I say that with air quotes of Syracuse in the fall of 2001, which was actually my senior year. We were in a brand new studio at that point. How did you stumble upon the radio station? Yeah, well, you could ask uh, one of our other mutual friends this question. Uh, His name is Brett Bossy. I went to the Shine Student Center, like, activity fair. It must have been late August. Uh, So right after school had started. And I was trying to figure out, what do I want to get into? Because I did a million things in high school, and and I loved it. But I was, like, really over-scheduled. And I, I wanted to pick one or two things that I could be really passionate about. And so Brett Bossy was there representing WJPZ, and I apologize if I forgot anyone else who might have been there at the time, but it was really, Brett and I struck up a conversation. We were chatting, and uh, he said, you know, would you ever consider coming over to the station? I'm, I'm looking to build my news team. And I wasn't particularly interested in news, which is fast forward why I switched my majors in Newhouse at some point. What did you switch to? Uh, television, radio, and film. Okay. But I still pretty much took the same classes, so I don't know if it really mattered. Um, but but at any rate, he sold me on the studio, and he was like, great, you start next week. And it was like, you know, you land your first gig. And I was like, I have no idea how to do the news. So that was fine. I learned on my feet. But that was my entry. It was that activity fair, and it was um, a really kind face in a really big sea of people. And that's how I started. I'll embarrass him by mentioning, I think Brett still brags about the fact that he was the one that found you and brought you into the radio station all these years later. It was him selling the, you know, the news program and the station itself. So take the credit, Brett. It's you're the reason why. So you walk in the radio station to do news. And what else do you end up doing in your involvement in the station from there? Well, it was really interesting, actually. So um, I was part of the news team. 
And I started doing, uh, it was like afternoons on maybe Tuesdays and Thursdays. And it was the 89 second news update. And I got really excited about that because, you know, having to pace yourself and get it spot on, that was really cool. And so I don't remember what time of year it was that I started to do more than just news. But at some point, Josh Wolf, he needed a news person to fill in for the morning show. And I was like, well, I'm sort of a morning person. I I can do that. And I didn't realize that it was like six o'clock in the morning on a (laughs) Thursday, I think. Um, But I did it and I, I loved it. And I stayed for the whole thing. I think I was only supposed to do maybe the news updates the first couple hours. And I just ended up staying and really hit it off in terms of like the content that we were working on and the music and all of it. And so that was how I transitioned quite quickly into afternoon news updates to morning show co-hosting. So this is your freshman year with Josh? Yes, this was freshman year. And where does it go from there? So I joined WJPZ in August of 2001 and I was doing news. Yep. And as everybody knows, a few weeks later was 9-11. Right. And at the time, that was a real moment for me where I was like, holy cow, the news is real dark at the moment. This is uh, this is a really heavy subject matter for a just turned 18 year old. And so something that I found really interesting about the station was that I was still really excited about the news. But those 89 second news updates were just enough for me to stomach at the time Uh and then move on to other things, more uplifting things and community involvement. And so getting into the morning show with Josh really helped me understand a bit more of the business of radio and what WJPZ was for the community. And so when you think about the promotions that we were giving away, the sponsors who were giving us the promotional stuff to give away on the air, all of that, that co-branded marketing was really cool. And so Because I fell in love with the format of the morning show, I ended up becoming the morning show producer, uh, the Z Morning Zoo producer later. um, I want to say I joined the exec staff my junior year, sophomore, junior year, and became part of that staff. Right. And so I was involved in recruitment for new DJs and for people to fill in. By the time it was my senior year at Syracuse, I was leading sort of the skeletal outline of what the morning show should be. So making sure we were landing like the right elements and then people could pepper in their content as needed. I always thought of it as like a brick and mortar. So we had the bricks that held the show together. And then whatever the co-hosts wanted to do for the mortar, that was up to them. If they wanted to lean more on sports, that's cool. If they wanted to lean more on pop culture, that's cool. So, yeah, it was really the morning show that I really focused on. But being part of the exec staff, as, as you may recall, it really helped you understand the full business of the station. Oh, and speaking of the business of the radio station, you got into the business shortly after graduating, right? Yeah, yeah. So I had the lucky fortune that I joined the station as a freshman. We went to banquet my freshman year and realized quite quickly how how robust and rich the alumni network is for WJPC. And so I got to know, even as a freshman, I got to know my future employers. So um, Rocco McRae and, and Chris Bungo. And, you know, there's everybody else in there, too. I'll talk about Brian Lapis and Matt Friedman and all of our other friends later. But I had known these individuals, my sort of my upbringing at Syracuse. <laughs> and so, yeah, when senior year rolled around and their company, Promo Suite, was looking to hire 
I knew that Jaina Fiorello had already landed a place there. And I was like, wow, you know, that's a really cool next step in terms of what do you do after Syracuse? They were in the market I wanted to be in. They were focused on an industry I was very passionate about. And so I went for it and I got it. And it was great. I was pretty excited that I had I had a job before I graduated. Like I knew a job was coming right after I graduated. So Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Rocco, for always being the start of my career. I couldn't have done it without you. You were one of the lucky ones. What did you do at Promo Suite? So I was an account executive there. So I was doing um, primarily new business sales. But there were some things where like you would own a, a market or a cluster of stations and maybe you'd signed on a few of the stations in the cluster to Promo Suite, but there were still other stations. And so most of it was new business development, but some of it was like existing account management or upselling. Got it. Got it. And from Promo Suite, what was next? From Promo Suite, I continued to stay in the radio sector. I actually went on to um, work for Sirius Satellite Radio for a number of years. And this was a different take on on sales and selling. It was okay. actually working with their customer service centers globally on sales and retention strategies. So when somebody was like, I don't want this satellite radio anymore. My radio's broken. They would call into a call center and tell somebody, hey, I want to cancel. And I was responsible for putting together the programs to be like, no, 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 don't go. What could we do for you? Would you like a new radio? Could we give you a few months free? And I was, gosh, I was in my early 20s at the time. And it was fascinating what happens on the other end of the phone when you call into customer service somewhere. And honestly, that job built a huge amount of empathy in me for who was on the other line. Like, you're never happy when a piece of technology or a service is failing you. Sure. But there is a human that you are calling on the other end of the phone. And so that has built a deep understanding in me about what is exceptional customer service and what's terrible customer service. And so good lessons learned there in terms of how to do things well. I think that's a double-edged sword. When I was in college on you know semester breaks and vacations, I worked in a call center. I worked in a roadside assistance call center. And I think when you've worked a customer service job and you've seen the other side of it, I think there's two pieces to this. One is what you just alluded to, which is that you know what's good customer service and what's bad customer service and because you've seen it from the other side. But I think the other side, to your other point, is empathy. Once you've worked a customer service job, if you call somebody, whether it's for your dentist appointment or for a subscription you're subscribed to online or whatever it is, I think once you've been on the other side of that phone, you tend to be a lot more nice and a lot more patient and realize, just like you said, there's a human on the other end of the phone. And it will be a lot for me to ever lose my cool with somebody on a phone, a customer service, because I've been that other person. And I think even if it's you know picking up dinner or whatever you're doing, just be nice. It's not that hard. Yeah. Kindness. It's free. It's very easy. <laughs> I'm thinking of every time that I've called to say, hey, I don't think I want my serious satellite radio anymore. And they're like, well, we'll give it to you for next to nothing. And I'm like, OK, well, I guess I'll hang on to it for a while. And I think I think the jig is finally up. I think I'm finally paying full price for it now. But it is interesting to think about how you, you said you're in your early 20s and you're helping figure out the flow of how that call would go and what gets offered. Yeah. And that's only, you know, I've worked in a lot of um, subscription and membership businesses since then. And it was really that was the start of it for me was what does it take to create a really good customer retention flow when someone is like, I don't want this anymore? Um, it's being the master of the breakup, I guess. <laughs> How do you retake control of the situation, which has never worked in my personal life, but definitely worked for me professionally. So, <laughs> However, and this is what I alluded to you about, about you being a great friend. 
I can't count the number of breakups that I've been through personally that I've called you for advice on. You have been such a sage advisor to me over the years. <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, but also, listen, you've, you've done the same thing for me. I think we, we've always had the benefit of like knowing each other in our yeah. younger years. That, you know, your 20s are great, but your 20s are terrible. So <laughs> we blipped through that. I mean, my 30s were great. I'm heading into my 40s now. It's like you, your 30s, you know more and you make more money. And so that helps. Your 40s, I feel like these are going to be great. I don't expect any crazy phone calls. Everything's going to be smooth, right? Don't don't tell me what the, what the outcome will be there, John. But, Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Since when do you call me John? Sorry, I'm uh, I'm used to the formal. Yeah, Jag, I'll have to go back to I'll have to go back to Jag versus John. No, it's all the interviews I've been on lately where I'm like, ooh, do you call the person by their nickname or do you call them by their real name? So, OK, fair. So what's next after Sirius? All right. So for me, being in the radio industry, it was always about the music. And this was the the former band geek in me. This was the musical theater nerd. The music was always the reason why I was doing radio stuff. And so I ended up moving into a digital music subscription company, which was a rival at the time to iTunes. Okay. And the name of the company was eMusic. Mm -hmm. And their big value prop was they signed all of the indie labels. So they were selling digital downloads for indie that okay. were like, screw Apple. We're not going to put our, our albums and labels on, on Apple. We're going to sell them through eMusic. And so it was a global company and they were pretty successful at the time. They're gone now and that's okay because I have a lot of cool merch that you can never get again. But this was a partnership marketing gig, but it was really focused on not only sales and retention of subscribers and customers, but how do you partner with big brands to create mm -hmm. like a co-branded experience? And so we did a lot of work with the tech industry in terms of like physical technology. So you buy some new Bose headphones and you get 75 free downloads from eMusic. Oh, okay. You buy a new laptop from Lenovo and the eMusic app is installed on the interface and you get a free subscription and a free download situation. And so... Again, that was really fascinating from the subscription time at Sirius. And so I built on that, got back to the music at eMusic. And that was actually where I learned a ton about digital marketing. Like, how do you run ads across the interweb and make money off of them to drive your business? And so fast forward, I moved my career from eMusic into digital marketing and the digital media industry fully. And I've been there for... 13, 14 years now. And I don't know if I'll ever leave. So we'll see. <laughs> and you've worked for obviously one of the biggest names in the space. And that, of course, being Facebook slash Meta. Tell me about your roles there very briefly. I, I promise I don't want this to sound like a job interview. I just want other alumni who don't know you as well. I want to get them get to know your backstory. So please don't feel like this is a job interview. It's not formal. <laughs> yeah, no, no, this is great. Listen, one, this is free press because spoiler alert, I am in the market for a new gig alumni base. But two. <laughs> I like telling my story. Everybody should be able to know their story and know their truth and, and play it back in different ways. And so, yes, I, for the past um, about seven and a half years, have been at Facebook and they brought me in based on my subject expertise across really the infrastructure of the digital media ecosystem. So everything from like, where do you host your content for a digital ad? What are the bells and whistles that you have to press to serve an ad to the right person at the right time. 
And so I did um, a little bit of account management, a little bit of new business development at Facebook. But for the past several years, I've done marketing and analytics education, okay. both internally and externally on, geez, if you're spending $100 million in a digital media plan, is it working? <laughs> Just throwing your money at this big name like Facebook or Google, what are the ways in which you can measure and make sure that it's effective? And so I've done a ton of development in terms of like, how do we upskill not only our employees, but everybody on how this works? Because if there's like a lack of knowledge, then people aren't going to want to invest their time, energy, and most importantly, their money. Right. So that's really what I've been doing for the past several years is building these internal and external learning and development programs to upskill the industry. I think that's fascinating, especially what you said about like taking a bunch of stuff and throwing it at the wall, because I think a lot of folks who don't understand the space very well, I just need to spend money on Google ads. I just need to spend money on Facebook ads, but knowing where to essentially hunt with a sniper rifle instead of buckshot. And then also, how do you measure your results? I think that's so important. Oh, it's so important. And when you think about Forget about like your Nikes and your uh, massive companies of the world. What about, you know, your local running store or what about the coffee shop that just opened on the corner and wants to reach local people and they have a hundred bucks to sell? Those are the people that I'm most passionate about educating because I want them to not be afraid of the big names and the big infrastructure of Google and Facebook. Anybody should be able to go into these platforms and spend their money and make an investment and get that money back like two times at least. So 2x return is what I always strive for. And I think it's really important that there are ways for people to upskill themselves that are frankly free. So that's another piece of it. But I could talk for hours about that. Give me a quick 30 seconds on that. I think that education should be accessible to all. And I know this is ridiculous coming from someone who went to a private university. <laughs> but when it comes to digital media literacy, it should be free. Nobody should have to pay for baseline understanding and foundational education. If you want to get things like professional certifications or master's degrees in digital media, great. But I'm very invested in creating a world where digital literacy is accessible to everyone. It's easy to hear the passion in your voice. One of the things that I heard you mention as you kind of took us through your career to this point, Christy, is how you kind of built on the knowledge in each role and led that up to uh, the next role and, and kind of stacked it like that. Let me bring it back to WJPZ. What are some of the lessons that you learned at WJPZ that served you well throughout your career so far? The biggest one is timing. Timing is everything. And I mean that in a literal sense of landing your audio points correctly when you're doing an 89-second news update. But I think it also, as it relates to career and professional bases, know your audience and know when you need to land the points and when you need to listen. Active listening is just as important in timing what you want to say as saying the actual thing that you want to say, if that makes sense. Everybody needs to recognize that when it comes to your professional career, yes, you are in control and you can go wherever you want to go and do what you want to do. But there are times when the timing won't be right to do certain things, and that's okay. There are times when opportunity knocks, and yeah, you got to jump for it. 
But I think that idea of timing and having a lot of room for making decisions and when you're going to land that point versus do that next thing, that's a big thing that I learned at WJPC. The other thing I would say is I had a part-time job my junior year, going into my senior year, I landed a part-time job at a Clear Channel cluster in Springfield, Massachusetts, thanks to Brian Lapis, our wonderful alumni here. Brian got me a a gig at Clear Channel working part-time for the country radio station there. And there was a gentleman who I worked with in the promotions department. He was kind of listening to where I was focusing on in my career because I had one more year at Syracuse. And he was like, you know what? It's all radio. No matter what you do, you're going to find out that it's all radio. Hmm. And at the time, I didn't really understand that. I, I was like, Okay, dude, that's great. Can I get my paycheck? Like, I just, I just set up for this event. We're get, I'm going to go. Bye. Wow, you got paid. You got, I'm impressed by that. Right? Yeah. I mean, Brian, again, uh, <laughs> Brian Lapis scored me a good gig there. But the idea that it's all radio, it's the way you treat people, which hopefully is kindly, both on and off the air, is critical to you and your brand and the way that people will see you both at that job and in the future. I think the commitment, the pressure, the challenges, the perseverance that you you experience when you're in the radio industry, whether you're on the air or off the air behind the scenes. True. All of that is something I took with me from, you know, when I was 18 years old up until when I'm an undisclosed age now. Someone can do the math on the back end and figure out how old I am. And then lastly, I would say Finding your voice is so important. And I will definitely say that WJPZ helped me find and polish and foster my voice in a way that I know my voice can drive meaningful change. Wow. And so thanks, WJPZ. So Christy, earlier you mentioned your experience in digital and in marketing. You were part of a significant uh, time period at the radio station where we went digital. Yeah, that was wild. I, I mean, again, this is back when I was, I think, 18, 19. And I, I didn't have the tech chops that I now do in terms of like a physical hardware, frankly, but also computer software. But we were switching over to an entirely digital board. And that is very different from like the high touch bells and whistles and carts that we would have um, oh, to yeah. switch over in the little cart readers. And so That was just a phenomenal moment in terms of continuing to keep WJPZ as like the best college radio station in the country. I mean, not only was it for talent and our programming, but we had the tech behind us to back that up. And I was astonished at how quickly everyone was able to make that leap from you know reaching around all over all over the studio (laughs) to get the carts in the in the right songs versus computer. And it was quite the foreshadowing to where the advertising and music and digital industry has now gone, which I think is awesome. It was just a huge piece of evolution at the station, and I was happy to be part of it. Just one more instance of us continuing to evolve as the world's greatest media classroom. It's WJPZ at 50. Hey, it's Jag. You're probably listening to this episode of the podcast because you know the person I'm interviewing. But one of the true joys of this project has been learning the stories of everyone in the WJPZ family. When you're done with this podcast, I'd encourage you to check out an episode with someone you don't know. You never know what you might have in common with your other WJPZ relatives. 
Looking back at half a century of broadcast excellence. This is WJPZ at 50. Can you name some of the folks that you've built lifelong relationships with? I know there's so many of them, but some folks that, you know, whether they went to school with you or before you or after you, that you've had these lifelong relationships with because of WJPZ? Sure. Well, I'm talking to one right now, obviously. <laughs> um, Jag, Mr. John Gay. I called you John again. Feelings mutual. Look, there's yourself. And then there's individuals like Josh Wolf, who I was on the air with. Brian Lapis, I've always uh, sang out praise to. And then there's other people who, you know, I didn't connect with until like after I graduated. And so I look at someone like Matt Friedman. Matt and I knew each other from the banquets and he was always part of sort of my alumni network. But I feel like Matt and I have fostered an even stronger friendship since I graduated. You have TJ Basala, who I was on the air with. And there is something that I want to call out, too. What I love about the banquet each year or each five years or each decade that you go is that it is that family reunion where it doesn't matter if you haven't seen or spoken to someone for a very long time. The minute you're back, it's like no time has passed. And so I think about someone like Dave McKinley, who was my co-host for years on air and We didn't see each other for a very, very long time after graduation. We were in the same graduating class and we were very close at the time. And then, you know, our worlds drifted. Mm -hmm. But whenever we see each other at these banquets, it is like no time has passed. And what I will also say in terms of these friendships is that they evolve and they mature over time. So someone like John Farrakhani, who was, I think, the GM, my freshman year? Would have been your sophomore year, yeah, because that would have been the year after I graduated, yep. So John and I knew each other in passing while I was at the station, but it wasn't until after we both graduated and went out in our careers and sort of reintroduced ourselves at an October fall conference yep. that I got to know him and his lovely wife, Lindsay Janice, who yep. they're both very successful at ABC. We built a friendship, and now it's like we see them in the city, we see them in California, and it's just like, It's a whole different level beyond the walls of the station. And that's the point. It's taking what you learned at that station and bringing it out into the world. You mentioned the banquet. You spent some time as the chair of the banquet. I did. I was on the board of directors for three years as like a young alumnus. And I want to say it was the second or third year that I was on the board that I was the banquet chairperson. I want to say it might have been banquet 25 because I remember making like quarters because it was the like there you uh, go. half a quarter. Yes. It's a silly <laughs> take on that. I don't hire me to do your branding. Um, <laughs> it was really, really fulfilling. And I loved it. Um, I think at the time I was really challenged because I was working for Sirius and I was on the road like three weeks out of the month. Yeah. So unfortunately, it just got to a point where I was like, I don't think I can take another call from a hotel room in Louisville, Kentucky, or (laughs) I can't get reception in this weird hotel in the Dominican Republic. So I loved it. And it is, listen, hats off to everyone who's done the banquet over the years. You know, Dina, I think, is probably the longest standing banquet chairperson. She is the the queen of chairpersoning. We've had Eileen in the past, and then we have a new one this year. Sam Candell, class of 18. You'll hear her voice in this podcast. I think the banquet's in really good hands with Sam. So that's amazing. Tell me if you can think of one, Christy, a funny story from your time at JPZ that you still look back on X years later and laugh. This is a little, uh, it's like 
indirect JPZ. It's related to my transit to the station every morning for the Z Morning Zoo. So my freshman year and sophomore year, I lived in Day Hall and Sadler Hall, respectively. Yeah. They're pretty far away from the station. And you have to leave at like, I don't know, five o'clock in the morning to get over to the station and set up and prep. And so Syracuse University offered this great service where public safety would come and actually pick you up and drive you to the station. And for, you know, like an 18-year-old woman trying to walk across Syracuse campus at night, that was just like not, that was not going to work for me. I was not going to do that on my own. So I would call public safety every, I think, Thursday morning and they would come and pick me up. And there were a couple times where they would drive me down like, I don't know, Comstock or one of the major like frat rows. And people would recognize me in the car that I knew. And they'd be like, Christy got arrested. She's getting taken home. (laughs) And I would be like, no, no, I'm I'm going on the radio. And like nobody believed me. And so I'd see some of these people in class later and they'd be like, you were so wasted. They had to pick you up. And I was like. No, I was stone cold sober, exhausted and going to the radio station. So that's one of the funny stories I have. And then the other, which I hope is relatable. Otherwise, I'm going to be really embarrassed. I can't tell you the number of times that I like got locked out of Watson because I was like (laughs) jetting over to Kimmel to grab like a Duncan in between certain sets. And I would be like, I would I don't know what it was if I would forget a card or but I got locked out so many times. And again, I was like, hi, public safety. Can you come let me in? Because I'm on the air. And we're about to be off the air unless I get in there next like three minutes. Yeah, that was really fun. Those are my two probably silly stories. Christy, congratulations on all of your success. Uh, She is looking at the moment right now, as she mentioned earlier. So if you are looking to hire somebody with Christy's chops, uh, her skill set's probably too long to list in this podcast, but feel free to reach out to her. Thanks so much, Jack. This has been so much fun. The WJPZ at 50 podcast is created entirely by the staff and alumni of the world's greatest media classroom. It's hosted by John Jag Gay, class of 2002. Editing help from James Bames Grundy III, class of 2020. Imaging by Maureen Cooper, class of 1999. And Ed Lacombe, class of 1985. Podcast artwork by Marty Dundix, class of 2001. Follow WJPZ at 50 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now.